I am Brother Cornell West, and this is Hip Hop Can Save America. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces. Just wanted to let you know that Hip Hop Can Save America is now available as a live stream show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. You can find it at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Excerpts from that show will be played here on the audio feed, so you'll still get the good interviews that you've been used to. But check out the live stream and check out my free Substack newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. That's filled with all kinds of stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and generally hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. For everything hip-hop can save America, hiphopcansaveamerica.com. For everything Manny Faces, mannyfaces.com. And if you find value in this work, you can support it. We'd love to have you aboard as a supporter at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Now let's go. The thing about hip-hop today is it's smart. It's insightful. The the way that they can communicate uh, a complex message in a very short space is is remarkable. And a lot of these kids, they're not going to be reading the New York Times. That's not how they're getting their information. So hip hop didn't invent anything, but hip hop reinvented everything. Good afternoon, anyone on the East. Good less than afternoon, anyone who's west of the East. It's your man Manny Faces, live and direct, live streaming, 1 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Thursday for the entire month of September 2020. The best year ever. Am I right? Uh, We're doing Hip Hop Can Save America. It is a podcast that has been in existence for some time. We interview folks and talk about some concepts that are hip hop intersections. So in hip hop being intersected with different areas of society, generally in a positive way to improve or uplift society and humanity along the way. So things like... Oh, I don't know. Uh, education. We touch on a lot. Uh, science and technology, uh, health and wellness. Uh, we delve into the fine arts, which is something we're talking about today a little bit. Uh, and all other various, uh, sometimes surprising, but always innovative and inspiring ways that hip hop, uh, can improve humanity. And through that, maybe help save America. In that, there are concepts and people that are being left out of the mainstream or even the less than mainstream conversations, but those things can help us all get by. And I don't mean just the uh, audiences and uh, participants, practitioners and inventors of hip hop music and culture, although they do get (laughs) dibs, uh, but these are things that can help really across all demographics, and all aspects of life. I posit that there is no area of life and society and humanity that can't be improved from either hip-hop music, culture, spirit, ethos, mindset, vibe, whatever. You introduce that into anything and you will have a better thing. So that's it. So once again, for those listening on the podcast uh, app, uh, if you've just started checking out this daily thing yesterday or today. This is different. You're not used to this. 
I will also have a bonus full-length sit-down episode similar to the episodes that you've been used to hearing. That'll appear on Friday, specifically on the podcast feed. Uh, So you guys get a bonus. And if you don't like this daily thing, don't unsubscribe or anything crazy like that. What's wrong with you? Uh, We'll still have a a Friday bonus for you guys, which is sort of the traditional uh, thing that you've been used to. But if you like this, I appreciate you for sticking with me and riding with me. You can also find this being aired live through video on Facebook. And YouTube, you can find me. You can go to the link here, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash live for information about where you can find me. So uh, today's a great uh, day because I didn't have a guest yesterday. And then I almost had too many guests. And then I didn't have any guests. And then I have a guest. So we're good. We're straight. And uh, it's one of my favorite people. So it's actually really cool. Yesterday, we spoke about the intersection of hip hop and social justice. Once again, Silent Night was our guest, uh, Innocence Project Ambassador. Uh, front man of the Van Cole Fuse, artist in residence for the Newsbeat podcast, which is social justice oriented. Uh, I like that intersection. I love how hip hop can still play a very valuable role in social justice, in uh, you know amplifying the voices of the underrepresented. What we also find is that that can happen through music, straight up. We've talked about whether you know in the past music has on the radio, for example, has shown this more than it ha- than it does now. Uh, but we can also find it in podcasting, in artist activism. And I like to say being on the ground in neighborhoods and communities, regions, doesn't always have to be a mainstream artist, a big name, a celebrity, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's where a lot of the work gets done. We see the spillover of this also in other areas of hip hop performance. I'm wearing a props to hip hop shirt. Uh, This was a great event series that happened in New York City a few years back, which was sort of like a reenactment. I don't want to say karaoke. It was much more than that. It was uh, artists, independent artists that were replicating the sounds of and and, and songs of of iconic hip hop acts on stage, full band, the whole thing. It was it was so intense and incredible, but it was a performance type of hip hop that you wouldn't normally see paying homage to icons in the past, something that people say doesn't really happen. So I'm trying to say that along the lines in pockets across the country and the world, hip hop is being used in valuable ways. When it comes to hip hop theater or stage, a lot of people seem to think that hip hip hop theater kind of begins and ends with Hamilton. You know, it might have been their first introduction to it, uh, might have been their first uh, foray. Uh, and they may think that that's it. That's that's what hip hop theater is. And that's it. And there was nothing before, nothing after, and there's nothing else. And it's fine if that was your introduction to, to hip hop based theater uh, or, you know, theater with hip hop undertones. But there's a wide spectrum. Uh, past episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, we talked to Baba Brinkman, who's a, another practitioner in this field, does some great work. And you can go back and check that out. Uh, but I like to remind people that, again, if you're not that familiar with the music and culture and ethos of hip hop, that there's so many great things happening that are hip hop influenced uh, in the world. And one of those things uh, and one of those people is with us today. He's been a practitioner of, he's an MC, he's a musician, he's a hip hop artist, uh, but he's a, a practitioner of this kind of stage, one man show, several man show, several people show kind of vibe. Welcome to the show, my man Dialect from the Museum of Dead Words and about 20 million other things. Happy to be here. Great to see you. Thank you, brother. I, I love the props to hip hop shirt that you're wearing. 
I loved being in Props to Hip Hop. I was in, I think, all except for one of the performances of it. And mm -hmm. one of the things that's really great is it gave an opportunity for MCs to do covers, which is something that MCs don't really do a lot. We're told not to do it. Right, people right. Weird about rapping other people's stuff. I think the live band really helped. You know, I, I rock with my own live band with Death Row Tull, and we've gotten to do covers of other MC stuff. We're just starting to, I, I see in um, mainstream discourse and in articles now, just starting to talk about how the performance of emceeing, of rhyming, is as important, or at least something that you would put up there right. with the writing. So that was a really great opportunity for us to be able to stretch out and reach into the artists that influence us and bring out those performances that we were doing in our bathrooms before we started rocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Covers. That's the word I was looking for when I was talking about what props to hip hop really was. Uh, shouts to uh, uh, Corey James Gray, formerly known as Ill Spoken, uh, Jeff Garibaldi. Yeah, we're both wearing some Corey James Gray shirts. My he, favorite MCs are my friends. So, you know, he's, you know, he's got love around here. He's everywhere. Uh, but yeah, and that was, that, I'm, I'm glad you you started with that and reminded uh, f folks, as I did, about that that series and the importance of that. You know, MCs doing covers, uh, paying homage, tribute to, you know, the old school or whatever you want to call it. You know, we often say that there, there were so many young people in those audiences that that's exactly what props to hip hop was. It was bridging that gap. It was showing, you know, that they didn't see the original artists perform. They weren't the fans necessarily of them along the way, but they got to see these covers, these reenactments and feel that energy that we were, that we felt coming up. Yeah. 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 Most definitely. Yeah. And, and I love like, you know, there's, the breadth of stuff that we got to rock from uh, on the same night, I think two of my favorite performances, I got to do ODB, Shimmy Shimmy Y'all, <laughs> and I got to do Heavy D and the Boys Now That We Found Love. Mm. And both of those artists, I think, influenced me um, in different ways, but like you wouldn't think of being able to have those two together. Right. And it was just such a great experience to be able to rock that and a, a fun show and a, a fun set to be able to have those things in your party. Yeah, I mean, look, it was dope. Uh, it existed. We love to talk about it, remind people, again, that hip hop, performance is not just you know going to a rap show you know that there are different lanes here uh we in the, in the intro i talked a little bit about the concept of you know hip-hop theater what's often you know kind of encompassing hip-hop theater uh you sir not only have been a, an mc a musician a rapper an artist part of the band uh a solo mc done a lot of stuff on the music on the strictly i don't want to say strictly musical tip but you know what i'm saying um but you also have had forays into uh acting stage craft uh, and doing shows. Uh, can you just give uh, folks a quick rundown of your your history uh, with both and yep. and intersected very, very briefly? Sure, yeah. Um, I'll try to give a little bit of the history. So yeah. um, I grew up in St. Croix in the Virgin Islands where I graduated high school and I came up to New York for college where I was going to study acting and I wanted to be an actor and I was really into theater. And at the same time, I had just started rhyming. I'd written like three raps and I had my crew of homies down there. We were doing our thing. And when I got to New York, I realized that most of the theater is not theater. Uh, Broadway, I'm sorry, but 99% of Broadway is TV on stage and I wasn't feeling it. Interesting. But you know what was theater? The cat's rhyming on the street corner. Right. The whole thing about theater that makes things theater is that the audience is necessary. It's not something where uh, I'm speaking at you. Um, what I love about hip hop and what I love about theater is it doesn't deal in straight lines. It deals in circles and ciphers and inclusivity. Mm. And I found that in hip hop. And I met the brilliant Claudia Alec, who saw me spitting a poem, uh, I think at like either the New Yorican or one of those spots, and was like, hey, do you know about this hip hop theater thing? And I was like, oh, what do you mean hip hop theater thing? <laughs> and she wrote... Um, 
she wrote a play that involved rhyming and uh, talking about issues that were important in our community and also the theatrical stuff. And we involved the audience and it was this dope thing. Mm. And that's what really got me hooked at where my niche as an artist is. Cause you talk about me being an MC and like, I remember when I came up here and uh, I spoke to some like label type of people and they're like, so what's your song for the club? And I was like, <laughs> I don't, what? I don't, do I have to make, I, I wasn't planning on making a song for the, for the, for the club. <laughs> Right. So um, when I, I, I met and rocked with Claudia um, and started doing all these things, I was like, this is the place where I want to be. I want to hip hop on stages in a theatrical fashion. I want to share how hip hop is the same type of theater that that Shakespeare in the Park stuff is. Right. 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 And and we've seen a lot of that um Again, come to light in a in a in a in a in a great way, you know, with the Hamiltons of the world, with the, you know, these uh but again, there's there's like a blessing and a curse with that sort of thing because the work that you guys are doing sort of on the creative progressive theater tip uh maybe gets overshadowed by this you know wild concept. But at the same time, it is that kind of door into the the idea that this can exist and work you know when when you're doing these kind of projects along the way and and i guess maybe the hip-hop theater community i know you can't speak for everybody uh what's the feeling when it comes to things like uh hamilton freestyle love supreme where it's sort of the the tv version of (laughs) as you say of hip-hop theater Um, i i I feel you um you know uh hip-hop theater is something it's really interesting because it's such a a varied and broad thing like hip-hop itself uh there are a lot of folks who are like, well, it's rappers writing plays that rhyme, right? And I feel like it can be a lot more than that. The Hip Hop Theater Festival, which was a really awesome thing, um, they are now known as the Here Arts Center, yep. um, but they were the Hip Hop Theater Festival community. They worked with the public theater, who developed Hamilton, who also developed a lot of my work um, with some of the same performers and same backstage people. Um, the public theater has been a, a really great friend to hip hop theater mm-hmm. throughout the years. Um, but I remember they had cats like Benji Reed coming through and you had B-Boys and you had all these different types of bringing the, the hip hop elements. And, you know, as far as the bigger stuff, I feel like it's always, you're always going to have some level of feeling of watered downness mm-hmm. with the bigger things because you're trying to reach a broad audience. And yeah. when you try to reach a broad audience, you lose the niche. Right. And that's often the case with how things go. Uh but those things have all been developed all in the same place. You know, uh, the homie Ukkarsh uh, from Freestyle Love Supreme has been down with Freestyle Mondays from Jump. Yep. Rabbi Darkside was in Freestyle Love Supreme. Um, I was there around for the development of it and around that stuff. Right. When I did, I wrote a hip hop play that uh, had a reading at the public. And um, at least Oak from my reading was also in Hamilton. So while the community has a big breadth and we all have a lot of different ways that we do it, we all still kind of run together. Right. We come from the seeds of like your willpowers and all those cats and, um, and Ben Snyder's who are putting stuff together in the early two thousands. What's ill is like, it's still a very young thing. It's been vaguely around since the early two thousands, but Hamilton stuff. And I guess before that in the Heights were the first really big hits for folks to come out of. Um, Along with like, I guess like Danny Hawk and Jails Hospitals and hip hop and all that other stuff too. Got it, got it. Yeah, interesting. Uh, you've now, so you've taken the opportunity to, in your way, incorporate hip hop ethos and hip hop stylings and hip hop music and culture into some of the work you've done, mm-hmm. um, and some of the work that you've either written or been uh, co, you know, co created. Um, what's the rundown? Uh, I, I I didn't have time because last minute. Uh, but the love letter show. 
Oh yeah, the love letter of meaning to write New York. That yes. was a really fun show we did. It was a minute ago. It was during Occupy Wall Street. This right. was a really great show um, with a number. It was like a, a huge number of folks involved. Um, I think it was the Ice Factory Festival okay. that we were rocking in, and um, the whole uh, thing with that that starred Arnold Spanos and. It was a show about New York and the vibes in New York and people being artists, people getting fed up, people dealing with what New York was. And it was such a dope show because it was semi-improv. Right. I kind of played the ghost of Gil Scott Heron and I was ushering folks through the hip hop activisty part. And every night we had guest freestyle MCs from around the scene come through yeah. and cipher with our artists and main characters. It was a really fun show. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't even my first show. The The first thing that I did for hip hop theater was in 2000 two or three when I wrote a, it wasn't that great, but it had a great cast. <laughs> I wrote a half hour. Um, I was given a half hour slot. Right. And they were like, here, throw something together. And I had like a week and I really didn't know what to do. So I wrote a half hour rap theater version of Macbeth where it was about like a biggie King of New York kind of thing. And I grabbed all of my hip hoppers who I know had theatricality and put it together. I directed it myself, which I'm sorry, I was a bad director <laughs> all the actors. It was not good. I, I have other directors now, but it had this awesome <laughs> cast. Uh, the King, uh, who was like the biggie was uh, Poison Pen. Ah, yes. And the Macbeth was Stealth Index. So both of these cats from Stronghold. Yes, yes. Banquo was Ta from the Bush. Mm -hmm. I had Ock Boogie DJing it with these amazing folks who uh, put together this, this really, really great show. I believe I had Eddie Brock in there from the Bronx as well. Um, really, really wonderful cats. And so, you know, they helped flesh out this thing that I wrote. Um, so I started doing stuff then. Then I put together a few pieces that were involved in some readings. Um, I wrote a one. Uh, I wrote a play about mixed race stuff because you know that's my experience. About I wrote a hip hop play about two twin brothers. One that was uh, they were both uh, mixed race, and one decided to act like they were all the way black, and one decided to act like they were all the way white, and the hijinks <laughs> that ensued. And a thing that that then led me to is I was seeing in the scene there were all these poets who were like, "Yo, I'm gonna string together." a bunch of my poems that have a theme and make a story out of them and call it a one person show and an album. And I was like, I can oh, do that poets. That's a thing. So I took uh, an album that I've been working on talking about mixed race. I wrote an album and one man play about when I used to live in Pennsylvania, uh, in a little town called Carlisle with the Klan used to march twice a year past my house. And we had race riots all the time. Hmm. And I wrote a play called square peg syndrome about, you know, a semi autobiographical semi-autobiographical one about a mixed race boy in high school and the race riot and him being in detention trying to talk to the counselor afterwards mm. and it was um it was really fun uh device where the audience was the counselor and i was the student so i was just you were just hearing responses from me and i would occasionally break out into song now since mc means move the crowd i can't just do it in a theatrical setting Square Peg Syndrome was also the genesis of a six-week program about literacy and identity mm. uh, called The History of Me. I went back home to St. Croix. Uh, I got a grant. Um, I think the Virgin Island Council of the Arts is a while ago now. And they allowed me to go into 17 schools, organizations, group homes, youth prison, basically every kid on St. Croix. Uh, I did the show for them. And then we did a six-week program about how identity and self-efficacy are 
inextricably linked. Mm. And we had them doing writing programs about how they identify themselves. Right. Because, you know, that was like my whole big thing in the show. And, you know, I know we all, you know, shout out to all my mixed race folks. You know, we all have that identity thing. And that's like one way that we don't necessarily fit in. We feel like square pegs. But the thing that I found when I went to St. Croix and when I taught this lesson around the country is that we all have ways in which we feel like we don't fit in. And Hmm. the great thing about what hip hop is, I always like to say is like, yo, you can say they stole rock and roll from black folks. You can say they stole jazz from black folks. You can't say they stole hip hop from black folks because you can't steal what's already been shared. Hmm. And that's the beautiful Hmm. thing about hip hop is that it's sharing um, all of what we got. And not only that, it's about all of the ways that we understand stuff. You were talking before about hip hop education and, you know, uh, the things in hip hop that work. And what I believe in is really hip hop pedagogy. The idea that this hip hop stuff, all these elements, they're not just ways that we express, but they're ways that we learn, they're ways that we understand, they're ways that we build community. So one of the big things that's always been important for me as an MC, um, who's an educator and facilitator, is when I MC with youth and I guess with adults as well, is we have to understand where we lean in our hip hopness because that's going to lead how we learn and how mm-hmm. we're able to get down and how we're able to get in where we fit in right. so that even being these square pegs, we can find the squares to find our ways into. Yes, indeed. Oh, you, I mean, preach on brother, but I was going to, I was going to ask you, I was say, you know, some of the stuff we were talking about is inside baseball. You're dropping names of artists. And I said, and I was going to follow up and say, you know, how does hip hop theater, how does, you know, can, can be used and you already said, well, not only did I do the show, but then I took the show into schools and I took the show into juvenile detention centers and, and then we and we spoke and then we uh, it was sort of communal and it was uh, expressive, but in both ways. So I'm sure you learned from the young people, their aspects and perspectives, because the whole thing is we're supposed to always be forever learning. Right. Yeah. So if we're using hip hop, not only to teach, but it still influences how we learn as adults, because we're all hip hop, we're all hip hop ethos uh, that that becomes a way that we can advance ourselves while helping improve others. It's it's so cyclical. It's just a, a so because so many people outside of hip hop don't understand that it's not. I don't want to say it's not anything what they think it is because of course it is, you know. But like life, there's layers. There's you know there's all kind of angles. Uh, you express that extremely well, and I uh, I thank you for that. Um, the other thing is is action is is using it to uh, affect change. You know, go out and not only do the shows and maybe someone takes something from it and then they leave, but you're following up with workshops and and all these kinds of things, especially with young people. It's valuable work. And I really appreciate uh, you for it and you for explaining it so well. Leading that into your sort of more current iterations. What do we got now? This Museum of Dead Words. It sounds uh crazy uh <laughs> it was done live and then the world went upside down but it will not stop us we uh know how to make um adjustments we're hip-hop so tell me about the museum of yeah. dead words yeah the museum of dead words so it's a project i've been working on actually for a while now and it started off with i was realizing i had trouble talking about racism with people because I mean, one, it's a a lot. But two, I realized that we weren't sharing the definition of what the word meant. I'd be talking about systemic racism and the structures around it. And people would be like, well, I'm arguing about you are mean to me because I look different than you. And I realized that, you know, because I think that arguments can be a good thing. I think even like shouting, yelling arguments, you know, there's stuff that can come out of it, but not semantic arguments for the most part. That's when, when things get derailed and it doesn't really go anywhere. Fair enough. 
So it's a really interesting thing to me. And I was like, I wonder what other words are feeling like they don't really make sense to people because we don't share the definition. And I decided to go to the internet and look at internet comments, specifically article comments, uh, the comments that people anonymously write below uh, things that other people write and say, because I thought that would be a really nice control. Uh, this is a very not scientific experiment. So excuse me, scientific folks might talk <laughs> like it's because, uh, you know, that was my attempt, but it was very all over the place. But the spoken word is not just about the word. It's about the sound. It's about the rhythm. You know how language comes from the drum, the tone and the things that we say influence so much of what we're talking about. Right. So when we take that away and we drop down to the written word, the written word still has at least a little bit of personality to it. There's a wonderful museum in France about uh, ledgers and, and people's notes where you can see Einstein's theory of relativity handwritten. You can see things about him. But the typed word typed word has no empathy. The typed word has no emotion. You can't read sarcasm through it. It's one of those things where it doesn't even sit in your brain the same way. People remember graffiti because it is hard to decipher. Mm. But the typed word, because it is so easy to decipher, it goes in one ear and comes out the other. I thought this would be a great place to just look at the words themselves and what people are saying. And I found several words that just didn't work. They didn't make sense anymore because we didn't share the definitions of what they meant. They were either accidentally or oftentimes on purpose twisted and mangled into places where you could only misconstrue what was being said. And that meant that conversations were going nowhere, right. we were wasting our time just talking. So I chose 11 words. There were plenty more I could pick from, but I, I thought the ones that had the best examples of the ways in which they died, I chose 11 words and I made rap songs about how they died. And that's the album, the museum of dead words. Right. And then I decided to put together, you know, since I like to do the whole theatrical presentation thing, well, what's a good way to do this museum? And I was like, well, let's do a museum tour. So we put together this show where it was this malleable, modular show where we went everywhere. The debut was in London for Mozilla, you know, the guys who do Firefox sure. uh, for OzFest, for their internet festival. And they put us up in the main stage. We had um, visual representations of each word made like really huge, like, you know, eight foot wide pieces of each word in its most obnoxious font. Like <laughs> we had the word normal, which was an aerial because of course, you of know, course. we use all the ones people hated, you know, your comic sans your Helvetica, they're all up in there. And so we got to do it at that place. We did it at cafes. We did it at co-working spaces. When we debuted in New York and finally had the big New York thing, we did it at Art Apple NYC with the homie Cross, uh, Crosby, who makes the hip hop clocks. He's a dope MC in his own right. Talk about cats who do it all over the place. I have a, and, a clock, a cross clock right there. You probably yeah, can't see it on that yeah, camera, but I do. Go ahead, go ahead. Just, you know, just, yeah, I had to, I had to jump in. NYC. <laughs> One of the fun things that we did with the show is, um, so it was a guided walking tour, uh, limited audience, like we kept it to like, uh, depending on the size of the venue, sometimes 15, sometimes 10 or even five people audiences. One thing of it is like, I wanted to have a more intimate experience. I know that's like a big thing these days with like the um, the gun show from Y um, and mm. things like that. Immersive theater is a big thing these days, but I particularly wanted this to be an intimate experience because it's about conversation 
And I wanted to have opportunities for people to ask questions, for us to respond and like have real conversation about it. Right, right. And what we did is in each area that we did the show, we invited local artists and local entrepreneurs to share in the pieces. I had artists put together images that represented how they felt about these words and how they died. And we built gift shops at the end of the show to share, well, to one, talk about the commerce, because right. all of this stuff, when you talk about words and conversation, and of course, you know, knowing me and my background stuff that I do, of course, we talked about race and wealth, the racial wealth divide in the show as well. Right. When you talk about all of these things, how we act as consumers and producers are a really big part of it. Yeah. So the gift shop was an important piece where we had folks coming and sharing their wares that you could buy that could also help uplift. We That's rocked wild. down in Wilmington, North Carolina with my collaborator, Kristen Crouch. Uh, the people who I'm collaborating with on this project, by the way, the director is Andrew J. Scoville. The um, art director and curator is Kristen Crouch. And my wife, Pamela Capallet, is uh, working on it as a dramaturg. And we've been doing this together. When we uh, One second. I want to, I want, if it's okay with you, I have your sizzle reel. Oh, yeah. you guys have. I'm going to play it. I'm going to try. This is technologically. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to. I'm not. While you're talking, I'm going to play it as you're talking. Cool. Cool. So yeah, hang yeah. on one second. Welcome Let me make sure everyone that was okay. to the Museum of Dead Words. If you'll come along with me. All right. Go ahead. They should be seeing it while we're talking. God oh, willing. No, that, that, that's what's up. That's beautiful. <laughs> so we were rocking down in Wilmington, North Carolina, where Kristen Crouch is from and grew up. Also, um, her brother, one of my brothers, leftists from the Minesburg crew, passed away some years ago. Hmm. I want to shout him out and. When we were doing the show down there, we connected with this artist, uh, Cedric Harrison. He's done some uh, TED Talks about race and wealth and has a great podcast himself. Hmm. And he had this coloring book that he had made about Wilmington. When we talked about all the civil unrest that's going on right now, Wilmington, North Carolina was a majority black town or like heavily populated black town hmm. where the white citizens staged a coup, a successful coup and took over the town. Of course, because of language, we always talk about language and uh, how it matters in this show. Right. It was known as the Wilmington Race Riots, right. which Im right, you know, which implies all the stuff that we know about riots, black people, them being the problem. Also, you know, the financial part about labeling something a riot in the media mm. means that for black owned businesses, insurance companies don't have to pay out. So, <laughs> right. Anyway, it's. Um, it's it was known as the riots and it was, you know, a massacre that. Uh, they took over the town and uh, killed many of the black people and made it so that they couldn't have businesses and couldn't have their own. And one of the people there, this guy, Cedric Harrison, he made a coloring book out of it. Mm. And that was available for the kids. So when we rocked in Wilmington, we connected with him. We did something on his show and we had his coloring books available for sale as part of our show. Mm. So it was really important to be like, deep in the community, yeah. sharing with the education part, having the arts, and also having a place for the artists themselves to be able to make money doing their thing. We were booked for a lot of really awesome stuff this year. We were going to be as part of the Fool's Fury Festival, again, reconnecting with Claudia Alec, who's a part of that. Uh, we're still going to be doing an online version of that, just take some stuff from them yesterday, actually. Mm. And I was invited to be part of, oh, I'm so mad about this, we're not going to the society <laughs> For linguistic anthropology. Hmm. That I'm sounds smart. Nerd. It's so smart. I'm a word <laughs> nerd and all, and I love me my words, the etymology and where they come from and yes. all that stuff. But Indeed. these cats were like professionally, they knew all of it. <laughs> and I saw that they were having a conference and I just sent them a thing saying, hey, so I don't have a lecture per se, and I'm not as credentialed as y'all, 
but I have written lots of curricula for uh, schools. So I'm like, I am literate and I've <laughs> songs and I, I done this stuff and I was like very humbly presented it to them. And they're like, this looks really fun. We would love to have it. And they were like planning on making a big part of their festival. So I'm really sad that that one didn't get to go down right. um, amongst another of other like really great spots. Um, University of Alabama, Birmingham, like really important places where uh, they have these kinds of discourse. Right. So we decided let's do it online. And it was a tough decision too, because a lot of these theater things are like, should we bring it online? Is it cool? Is it right. going to be a real for real? And the reason we decided to bring it online is I've done so many different versions of the show, depending on the audience, depending on the needs of the audience. There are times when I have people like, for the Society for Linguistic Anthropology, I was planning on doing a lot of my research, doing presenting, you know, facts. Right. And those folks would get that part. I've done it um, in school, community areas, co-working areas where the stories behind everything and the emotional appeal was very important. Mm. And there's just so much information about these words and how they affect our discourse that we decided to expand it. So now, rather than being like an hour and a half-ish show where you go on a walking tour with me and you look at some stuff and jam with me as I do some songs, right. we now have an immense 11-week show where each word is getting its own week. We invited artists to submit, uh, visual artists from all around the world, to submit entries to collaborate with me. And we picked artists. We have 11 different artists, folks from the U.S., we got folks from Brazil, we got folks from Nigeria, like mm. really dope artists. Mm. And we're each word will have its own week on Monday uh, in collaboration with Fiverr. I've been doing a lot of finance workshops with Fiverr, right. the freelance guys. And um, so just to like be real about it, they paid us in Fiverr bucks. So we decided, hey, since we got all this Fiverr money, Interesting. why don't we reach out to the Fiverr professionals? Again, like I said about the entrepreneur community is always a big thing for us yep. and have them make lyric videos for each of the songs. So each of the songs on Monday of the week, and this starts uh, this Monday coming, yep. um, the 7th, uh, the lyric video drops on Monday. On Tuesday, there will be a live from me that's going up on YouTube, Twitch, all the places. Um, we're using one of those like multicast things where I'm going to be live and talking about my research and my findings, the birth and death of the word, where it's come from, really heavy digging into that. Uh, there may occasionally be guests here and there. That one's going to be like a pretty loosey-goosey situation. That's the place where we invite people to share what I called in person the dead word bucket. Oh, I should have had it out here to show you. <laughs> I had a bucket I would go around with. I was at Union Square. I was at like hippie festivals and all mm. sorts. Of Shout out to Lucidity for thanks for allowing me to rock with y'all. Mm. And I had asked people, I was like, what words do you think are dead? What words do you think are messing up language, making conversation worse? Right. So we have this digital dead word bucket now, which you can reach out. You can go on the website, museumofdeadwords.com, and drop words. You can come in my social. So I'll be sharing that and discussing that. On Wednesdays of the week, we'll be talking about some of the difficulties with the etymologies of a lot of these words. We're calling it you know, etymology plus, because it's not just about where the words come from, but it's the right. context of where the words come from. Fair? Fair means doesn't mean just and honest originally. It mm. means beautiful, but doesn't just mean beautiful. It meant beautiful in relationship to being light-skinned. Mm. Fair from the German, right. uh, Germanic foreign was the opposite of ugly. And you know what the word for ugly at the time was? 
Wow. I, I, I could guess, but yeah. Right? You right. know what I'm saying? So it's not just about like where these words come from. So right. we hear yeah, fair in the early maiden. Disney, you know, fair, the fair maiden, the fair, da, 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 and that's the implication yeah. is always there, right? Yeah, Con- yeah, context, yeah. baby. That's even in one of my songs where we talk about how, um, you know, when you look at Disney villains, they're usually dark, disabled, <laughs> uh, possibly effeminate or queer coded in some kind of way. There's right. like all of these things of like othering right. of the bad guy in, in Disney Johns. Right. So uh, to finish off the week on yes. Thursday, we're going to be having the artists unveiling the pieces that they've been working on for the past few weeks that are their reaction to the death of these words. And we've got amazing different things that people are, are doing. There's stop motion stuff. There's people doing like live installation things. There's other people with like just some hand-drawn stuff. So they'll be unveiling that. And after that, there's going to be a 20, 25-ish minute conversation between myself and the artist where we talk about where we're coming from and how our ideas intersect. Mm. The last thing that happens is Kristen, who is an amazing artist in so many different ways, has this thing that she does called memory scapes, where she takes math and makes art, but it's based on you. So in the conversations, we're talking about where we're from and um, different places that have numbers associated with them, like longitude and latitude, latitude yeah, sure, and other numbers. And she has a trigonomic equation that she uses to make digital art. So on the weekend, she'll be updating us about the digital art, and that will come to a culmination. Since we, um, I, I haven't put out the announcement for all of the artists, which we'll be doing, I think, today or tomorrow. Okay. But I'll let you know the spoiler. Our final artist on the last word, truth, is the homie Demostina. <sighs> and after we do the piece with Demostina, and she shares her amazing work, yes. then we're going to have Kristen with the final piece of the memory scapes and how it all comes together. Man, listen. It's going to be a good party. It sounds... So I like to uh, uh, subtitle this podcast, The World's Smartest Hip-Hop Podcast. Thank you for... <laughs> for proving that point, that is some smart, brilliant, artistic, intersection, inclusive goodness. I, I can't. I don't have. I don't have enough entomology in me <laughs> to tell you how interesting that sounds. Uh, that is fascinating work, man. And it's you know you miss some opportunities to go out and and showcase and perform and do the show. Pandemic has flipped everything upside down. But this sounds also like really making the best of a bad situation to be able to do it in this kind of depth and this kind of breath, really expanding the notions. You would agree? Yeah. I mean, you know, I I think it's beautiful to be. Well, I mean, like the whole hip hop thing, right, is we make the best out of of the worst. And like, you know, and I'll I'll share with you, man, I haven't told anybody this because like I'm not good at. I'm, I'm very bad about the MC part of like the braggadociousness and to talk about myself and where I've been at. But like 2019 was my best professional year by a mile. Mm. Mm. Uh, we uh, we got to debut the museum. Um, I got the most spins I've ever gotten. Uh, Preach to the Choir and Slave to the Algorithm from mm-hmm. the album are, um, two, those are two songs. They yep. have, have over 100,000 streams on Spotify alone. We did so well on Spotify that Spotify checked in because they thought that our account was fake because I'm like... <laughs> It was like doing really well. It's like super amazing. I'm 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 happy to be uh, carded, I guess, in that situation. <laughs> right. I, You're I like, no, I'm do, I'm literate. Right. Like I yeah, I got my I stuff. have words. Um, I, I got to do uh, three keynote speeches for different organizations. Uh, Pockets Change, my hip hop uh, and finance education organization, has been uh, in several places, and we've been able to write curricula. 
uh, writing finance curricula for entire countries, for people like Visa, um, for the FDIC, like the people who do the money stuff. And I was even like my one of my proudest moments of last year, I was able to rewrite or add to the eighth grade poetry curricula in New York City. Mm. Uh, one thing like on just on the me tip, they took some of my rhymes and um, broke them down for kids to use. Um, but I got to do two things in specific that I, I'm super proud of that. I'm just like, I don't know if it's humble bragging or brag bragging I got to do. But I also just want you to let you know that hip hoppers are able to make change this way. Yes. I was asked to write uh, a little bit about where the roots of rhyming poetry come from. And one thing that I found was missing in the curricula was slave spirituals and protest songs. Mm. And how those were, when we talk about rhyming poetry, and like even before we get to rap itself For in sure. America, those are the foundations of not only how we rhyme, but why we rhyme. Right. Don't understand. Like when you go to a rap battle, people will say a bunch of stuff that doesn't even necessarily make sense or isn't true, but we laugh and we love it because rhyming makes you believe things. When people have slogans, when people have ads, the reason they rhyme is because rhymes make things into truth, make things into common sense. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to dig about like where rhyme comes from. We have to look at why rhyme comes from. And in times when we had folks who were enslaved and they had to have these songs just to be able to get through their day. Right. And for these protesters, for them to be able to get on the same page, to get on the same rhythm, to understand right. each other, they needed to use rhyming. And that was a really important thing. The other awesome thing I got to do is for um, phonics learners, for um, people who are either ELL or um, uh, at the phonics stage of learning English, right. I got to rewrite their poetry that they use. You know, they always have like some sight words to read. Yeah, yeah. And the literary department was like, your dialect it's just a bunch of nonsense sentences. You've seen those ones where they're like, Ben runs with Jane down the block to the car. And you're like, what is that? So <laughs> they allowed me to rewrite it into mostly rhyming poetry so that we could give cats uh, a more concrete way to glom on to these words and to understand where these things come from. So that's stuff that I'm super proud of. And mm. I only have told you about it because you family, you get to know about these things. Right, and I right. say all this I to say, you know, also I had, I had a son last, last year. Indeed you did. Indeed, you did. Um, Just making great. all kind of moves, creating so it many was, things. It was it was it was a beautiful <laughs> year. Like, it, it was it was fantastic stuff. And you know, we we're excited about doing stuff this year and going out into the world and you know, bringing my child around to all the shows for sure. Which I know you that. would. <laughs> and it's fine because things are different, and we have to work it out, and we're going to work it out. We, uh, as hip hoppers, we make way for each other. I think that's the biggest thing about the cipher. You know, this is why you have the show that you have. You could just be DJing and being like, "Yo, listen to me spin records. I'm dope. It's about me." But uh, hip hop and the cipher is about making space. So it was great for me to be able to be like, you know, some stuff happened. Well, I'm going to figure out a way to go and make space for others. Mm. You know, to shout out folks like um you know rest in peace to vice versus when i first came to the scene uh and i was rocking at eod because it was one of the only things around those cats came and booked us for shows you know they invited us to go out and i was terrible i don't think i was good at rapping then I, you know my songs were any and i'm on mic controls and mess and all of that and they <laughs> gave us reps yeah they gave us yeah. the reps that we needed they could have booked them shows for themselves and just put themselves on, but they didn't because that's what hip hop is. That's, that's like what hip hoppers do. Cutting your teeth on the stage, man. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I think, like I say, and, and, and I had a pretty good year lined up too. <laughs> 
had some things happening and it all went to, you know, whatever. But now we're doing this, which is great. You know, again, providing space, sharing these stories, sharing the work, uh, sharing all those things that you mentioned. It's not, a, it's no problem letting people know that these are the things you're involved in. That is testimony uh, for hip hop culture. Uh, for your work ethic, uh, for the great things that you do, uh, why I was so happy to have you on here very early on in this endeavor, uh, and why I'm very excited about what's happening uh, starting next week, starting next Monday with the uh, Museum of Dead Words. Uh, people can find out more about this, of course, at museumofdeadwords.com. Yes, yeah, museumofdeadwords.com. That's where the stuff is. Um, we'll be posting on social and stuff like that, too, so you can find um it's at dialect, D-Y-A-L-E-K-T. I spell it with a Y and a K rather than I and a C because I'm a 90s kid. And that's nope, how we do our it's slang. It's right. It's right there. Down there for the viewers. Go ahead. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's very cool. Uh, and, and just to to just rewind real quick mm -hmm. pockets change uh you know we've talked before mm -hmm. about this i don't know if we ever you know talked publicly about this i think we were supposed to anyway uh again i could talk to you every six months and you have another thing that's an you know a valuable valuable uh endeavor mixing a little bit of hip-hop but also helping humanity uh shouts to you and pam uh for pocket change everything that you guys do please explain that one time for you i know sure, you just yeah. did pocket change is so valuable and financial literacy is so important uh it's right up there i think with civic engagement financial literacy the things you don't learn about i'm yeah. i'm i'm pushing a lot of years on this planet and i'm i still don't got it together uh the fact that you guys are doing this 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 initiative uh focused on young people focused on young people that have typically been underserved in these particular in this particular area please ex explain yeah and, and it's quite expensive and like don't ever feel bad for you not having that stuff together because it's a little bit intentional folks weren't taught we weren't taught any of this when yep. i came to the states and i was like i'm gonna be an artist and stuff and they were saying <laughs> do you have a song for the club and i was like no they were like well then you don't have a business model and i'm like wait what and right. i thought that i was a starving artist for years until i started talking to people who are in finance and freelancers and they're like no you're a creative freelancer Right. You should look at your life and your career as such and right. for somebody to pluck you from obscurity and then make you a star. Again, phrasing, it, right? The words mean something. Right? Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. Well, it does. And because and that's the thing, like the starving artist has been like they've made this whole thing about it. But, you know, so I've been stumbling by as an artist and um, my wife, my constant collaborator, she's a financial planner. And I was sort of that she's an artist herself because of the way that she goes about it. And she, you know, an artist is an entrepreneur because we do the same thing. We fix a problem. We see a problem out there and we go and find a way to solve it. Yeah. And when we started jamming together as educators, because she has this program, Pockets Change, she started with Andrea Ferrero, and they brought me on where they do finance with young kids. And it's not just about financial literacy, because financial literacy is dope, right. but it's, um, it's really important. It's the first step. But financial literacy is knowing the facts and figures. But if you guys have ever done a fitness program or a nutrition program, you know that our bodies and our minds are so divergent and so different. So if it doesn't work for you, you're going to give up and not do it. So the thing one is, size doesn't always fit all. Yeah. Yep. So what we teach is financial resilience. And that's what to do when stuff happens. And it's funny because uh, in education, there are people who are pushing back against it, saying like, I don't like resilience because that implies that our kids have to go through stuff. And guess what? They may not have to, but they do. They do. We go through stuff. 100%. And stuff's going to happen. So what we do is we try to put ourselves in a position where we're not just thinking about the product, but also thinking about the process and how we do things so that when stuff gets hard, we're able to move through. It's easy to save money or easier to save money when you're making money. 
Right. It's easy to do your thing when everything is going well. But when stuff hits the fan, when you have those emergencies, when you have those problems like we all do, if we're able to maintain our process, then we'll be able to make something out of what we're doing and we'll be able to get out of any situation we're in. Right. And so that goes with the youth, with Pockets Change. Um, we're working with the DOE right now. We're doing a lot of teacher trainings, doing a lot of work with the kids, a lot of virtual stuff right now. It also manifests for adults with Brunch and Budget, which is right. my wife's one-on-one planning business but also a podcast that we do. And we also do a lot of um, a lot of workshops for adults with General Assembly. I think we have a three-part series coming up with them. We got this grant to help folks out through that. We've also been doing our show live on Fridays at 2 p.m. on Instagram. Straight up because a lot of people were emailing Pam and asking about, hey, what's up with this PPP loan? What's up with the EIDL? What's up with all right. these things? So right. we're using that as a place to like keep people updated. I actually, I, I just uh, as a, you know, transparency, I actually caught one of your, uh, uh, you know, sort of pandemic relief talks. It was in conjunction with, um, not Fiverr, it was the other, um, another organization, um, uh, was it Bowery Poetry Club? I think we did one with them. Too. No, no, it was like a like a company that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. We had a few of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, shout out to the the corporations yeah, that have been. Yeah, it was one of the co. I can't sure. remember which one, but uh, so I caught it. And and as a small business owner, because one of the things that happened to me in 2019, as an aside, is that I started Many Faces Media, which is sort of the umbrella under which I orchestrate all of my podcast development, podcast production, stuff like this, speaking engagements, things that I do. Uh, and here I am six months into the business, seven, eight months into the business and the world goes crazy. I just started, I'm trying to make it and I'm not a year in, in business. So that, uh, uh, makes me ineligible for things. Haven't yeah. filed my taxes yet because there's an extension. So I haven't filed, you know, so all of these things became very, uh, urgent to me. Uh, and just to, again, transparency, I did check out one of y'all's, uh, 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 seminars or whatever, webinars, whatever you want to call them, found some valuable information. Just, uh, you know, random, just checked in and said, oh my God, you'll help me immediately. Thank you. So, you know. It's, it's really messed up. And I, um, one day they're going to have to do some addressing of, because like I feel like we're in a similar position. We weren't brand new as a company, but we had hit like a, a big growth right at the end of 2019. And all of the people who either were starting something new yep. or were in any kind of transition between 2019 and 2020, they're the ones who like really haven't weren't eligible for assistance. Yep. So a lot of them were very asked out. Yep. And I, I'm wondering how we're going to end up addressing those things. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, part of it is by helping, you know, uh, talk to the people right. that are going through it. And y'all do that very much. Again, the youth oriented stuff, the adult oriented stuff, uh, the, the uh, like I said, the, uh, the brunch and budget, uh, which obviously has been around for quite some time now, the the podcast and the show, uh, you know, shouts to Bonfire Radio and, you know, yeah, the, the roots. That's it. So, turn up. You know, so, uh, but it's been very, very valuable. Again, it, it's not hip, but like, again, you're not like, all right, everyone, I'm going to rap this song about money. And <laughs> it's not that. It's what I need people to understand who might be listening to this for the first time and saying, oh my God, this is brilliant. This is all super smart and super effective and super helpful is yes. It's not just hip hop, the music, it's hip hop, the ethos. And I think what you guys bring to the table when speaking specifically with financial literacy uh, is absolutely uh, valuable and effective. And you got the receipts to prove it, I'm sure. There's been a lot of uh, uh, good results from your program. So I'm super happy to shout it out and let people know about it. Um, follow up with you guys. I put the, uh, the link pocketschange.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the chats, in the comments section, and I encourage people to check it out. It really is helpful to anyone, as I say, 8 to 80. So uh, thank you guys for that work. Uh, what else do I need to tell people about what you got going on? 
Yeah, there's one other thing that I figure I should mention that we got going on that's coming up soon that's really dope. So Please do. um, Pam and I have been asked to be, uh, we're consulting with these great guys, Prosperity Now. Uh, when we talk about things like the racial wealth divide, they're the ones who have all the stats. Mm. Uh, you know, the um, updated status, it would take 242 years for the average black family to catch up the wealth of the average white family. If right. uh, the racial wealth divide were to end today, um, as it stands, we're going backwards and the average wealth of a black family may be zero by 2053, which is really scary. Yeah. But these guys are brilliant statisticians, community leaders and managers, and people in the finance realm who talk about the big stuff. The stuff that we mostly know anecdotally, right. they have the data and facts and figures to back it all up. Right. And also they work with the policy people to make it actionable. We've been rocking with them like three, four-ish years as they're like, hip-hoppy, artisty people to talk about how do we translate this to people? How do we get down with folks and all that? Yeah. And so we're jamming with them this year and they're doing a virtual summit, their prosperity summit, mm-hmm. where they're having uh, people like April Ryan, um, Damon John from FUBU and mm-hmm. all that coming on and talking about where we're at financially, what our options are and what we can do to build a better economy. And okay. there are a lot of actions that are going on with that. Um, we have an upcoming dope campaign about baby bonds. Um, the the just that basically is um, there are people who are trying to get legislation and want folks to call their senators so that we can make every baby into a trust fund baby. Remove the stigma of just <laughs> trust fund babies just being the rich folks who got this thing and they're lazy. It can be everybody and we can make sure that everybody has their stuff together. And we have a lot of great stuff coming up and that's going to be coming up at the end of September. Hmm. And if you guys, this is like where you know, we talk about education, we talk about art, we talk about conversation. And the part that's often the missing piece with all of this is then policy. Yeah. Yeah. All of these things rock together, right? You know, 100%. the policies we were talking before about like how the word riot is used that messes people up financially, right. about how the education is an important thing and about how financial literacy and then resilience. And then to make it all set in stone, we got to have some laws. Right. So this is where, you know, my big goal, even before the pandemic hit, I was saying that I want to get the activists, the educators, the creators, and the policymakers of every local community and our global community all together in the room so that we're not recreating the wheel. I feel like we're often doing that. We're like, we're doing each other's job and we can just rap with each other yes. and get these ciphers going. So this is um, where we're reaching out into the policy arm and trying to get that cipher popping. So please feel free to come and jam with me on that. 100%. And start calling your senators and getting it all together. 100%. Let's bring you back to talk about that in specific detail because that is super important. Uh, you know, we talked yesterday, uh, no, your guest, Silent Night, friend of, uh, of all of us, I, I'm sure, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. was on talking about the, the social just, justice work that we do with the, uh, the news podcast which obviously we're doing journalism work we're telling the stories and we're bringing the artistic vibe in to make it a very compelling narrative uh but at the end of every episode we're like okay here are the people you just heard from they're doing this work go follow the organization go get involved and help make these things actually happen because we could feel bad about it but if you're giving me ways to kind of get involved uh you know sometimes people need to be hand-fed um so that's just how it goes but if you're working with with uh, uh policy makers and trying to bring everyone into the room that's very important what you said and uh, i'm very curious and excited to see that come to fruition i will definitely be uh paying attention to that and whatever i can do sir personally uh to help with that mission let me know that is up my alley word 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 yeah no we, we should rap about that that'll, yeah, that'll be really dope you know because it's funny um when, when you bring up your other show which is uh, a really dope show that i love and very much in the vein of the type of stuff i like to do i should introduce you to the cats at the forum collective the forum collective is um 
they're a theater journalism hybrid thing. And I I just did some jamming with them. They're really awesome folks. So there's some cats for you. uh, It rings a bell. We'll definitely follow up because uh, something tells me that uh, we should talk more about that. Uh, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you always, like you said, providing space, working to bring people together. It's what I'm trying to do. It's what people like you are trying to do, uh, actually are doing. Forget trying. We're doing it. We've been doing it. We've been out here for a minute. Uh, So I appreciate you bringing all of this incredible insight uh, to your work. I I love that your work is so much more than you, but it is all you, sir. And uh, and I do appreciate everything you do. I've appreciated it for a long time. I am glad that you're here to talk about it. And uh, we will, again... Have spread the word and preach the dialect gospel uh, far and wide as much as uh, as much as I personally can. I, I love that because you know uh, my song that's done like the best of any song that I've done. Um, you can see it on Spotify and all everywhere. Preach to the choir. The lyric video for is dropping for that Monday. It's really dope. What's but that? you know uh, I, the chorus for that is I don't know much, but I know one thing: you got to preach to the choir so they know what to sing. That's what it is. Dialect, thank you for your time. I'm going to ask you one question. I do this on the the real podcast before I start doing this live endeavor. Uh, I ask people, and you've kind of answered it throughout, but I think you'll be very uh, succinct and, and, and compelling. Uh, the name of the podcast, the name of the show is Hip Hop Can Save America. And I know it's a lofty idea and there's probably a lot of things we need besides hip hop to save uh, or to improve or to, you know, uh, pull America up from some of uh, – what some might say are, you know, dire straits. Uh, but when you look at hip hop, when you look at hip hop music, culture, ethos, you know, spirituality, uh, all the things that you know hip hop to be, your involvement personally from your perspective, why do people need to consider hip hop to make yeah. sure that hip hop is it, part of the discussion when it comes to improving lives and livelihoods and communities in this country? You know, so other art forms have dabbled in this, but nothing but hip hop understands how to be competitive while also being collaborative like hip hop. It's such an important thing. The type of competition that we have in America that is deleterious for us is zero sum competition. When people talk mm. about why capitalism is bad in America, they mean zero sum capitalism where I win means you lose. Right. That's not hip hop. In hip hop, I win means you win means we win. Even when we battle, look at a B-boy battle. You will never see a B-boy trip another B-boy in the battle. Battle, right? The right. move in and out, do all these things, the grab, take their hat off and all this stuff. Right. They will never swing on each other because that will ruin the thing and make them the loser. Even mm. when we compete, when we're in business together, your competitors are your peers. Talk to them and learn from them. We make things together. That's why we make unions. And it's not just I'm fighting for mine. Right. When mine becomes ours, that's when we get ours. And that's why hip hop is so integral. That's amazing uh, perspective. You're 100% right. I know it's not always uh, the image of hip hop that gets portrayed to the masses, uh, but we know it because we are it. They don't. And that's uh, that's it right there, man. You summed it up. Thank you very much for that perspective. It was a great one. Uh, and thank you very much for your time today. I know it was very last minute. We scrambled to make it happen. Uh, this is like the only episode this month that I didn't have a guest for. Like I got 16 more of these coming up uh, and everything was booked. And I was like, uh, and then I saw that you were dropping this next week and i said uh no i would have doubled up just to have you on the show sir so thank you very much uh i, look- no, no, I appreciate it i'm happy to be able to get in where i fit in really looking forward to all the rest of it i appreciate you for the appreciation and i will be checking in museum of the dead words uh the museum of dead words 
sorry, uh, will be uh, launching in its full glory uh, next week. And uh, for the next 11 weeks, uh, we will be looking forward to all the drops uh, that come out from from that situation. Pockets change, once again, financial literacy for the masses uh, that really come at it from an angle that is helpful per, uh, and effective. Uh, we all need better financial literacy, like you said, especially during these times. And there's actually... Just as, as a quick note, I've always been taught uh, from the one I know, like one really rich guy. Like I know some people that are I they do, you know what I mean? But I know one really rich guy. And the lesson that's been imparted from him was there's always financial opportunity during downtimes. There's always financial opportunity during a crisis. There's always financial. Op- and I don't mean just like robbing folks and doing like kind of, you know, uh, you know, buying low, selling high. I mean, it's a minus, you know, it's a, the, the 101 of investing. Uh, so a lot of things are low right now and we don't all have money, but we have ways. And that's what I think financial literacy, uh, the stuff you do with pocket chains is so vital right now, because this could be a time that if we play our cards right, you emerge actually better than we entered, which I know is hard to, for a lot of people going through it right now. And there's a lot of people that don't have any resources whatsoever. They're really struggling, pay rent, da 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 I'm, I'm conscious of all that. But the things we could learn during this time might help us as we emerge and in the future. And I think the financial literacy is at the, at the heart of that. So. Yeah, no, I I love that. Well, you know, I, I think what you're saying is, you know, to just, uh, you know, as we have our pause to like do what we can to make sure that we don't let the status quo remain. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. it. That's it. So, again, across so many different uh, variables, social justice, super important right now, health and wellness, super important right now, especially self-help, mental health awareness. We got shows coming up that deal with that financial literacy uh, and hip hop, like I say, can, uh, as you've shown and if we talk about, uh, can help all of these things. So thank you. Please keep it up. Please keep up the good work. Anything you're doing, let me know about and I will pass along and we will talk again soon, my friend. Thank you, brother. Good to see you. Thank you, man. Peace and love. Peace. There you have it, y'all. Episode two. But uh, uh, a really fantastic, uh, in-depth, brilliant conversation with a fantastic, in-depth, and brilliant person. Dialect, Museum of Dead Words, online, uh, all through uh, the next 11 weeks. Uh, Pocketschange.com, again, for financial literacy. And just follow Dialect, man. He's, he's a brilliant guy, and you see why I had him on the show. Again, this is the world's smartest hip-hop podcast. So this is the kind of endeavor we do. And these are the kind of folks we talk to. So proof positive uh, right there. Thank you, Dialect. Thank you, uh, associate producer uh, Cindy, uh, OG associate producer Summer on the check-in. To Rissa, shouts to everyone on the check-in. Shouts to JP Justice on the check-in. Shouts to everyone who's checking us out uh, live and on on demand. Again, Facebook, YouTube, the main uh, locations for this daily show. We went long again because we just, we, we talk with some amazing people. You can't put this into a box. HipHopCanSaveAmerica.com slash live lets you know where these things are happening. And of course, we will be releasing this audio every day as a podcast episode on the podcast feed. So do subscribe using your favorite podcast or streaming audio app, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Just search for Hip Hop Can Save America. There's nobody else with that name and there's nobody else doing it like this. But me, Manny Faces, humble brag, but we're doing it. So I appreciate y'all once again for tuning in. Thank you to everyone who's uh, checked in on the check-in. Thanks to everyone who's watching it on demand. And thank you for everyone who's going uh, through the podcast route. Again, I wait until the last freaking moment to remind you that this can be supported financially if you feel like doing so. Patreon.com slash Manny Faces. You see it on the screen and you'll see it in the words of the podcast thing. Patreon.com slash Manny Faces. Uh, obviously, all this technology is tough to put together, but also tougher to pay for. Uh, but, you know, listen, if you can, great. If you can't, no problem. Pay me 
by sharing this episode, by sharing the work I'm doing. I appreciate y'all for that. It is never about me. It is about making space for other people using hip hop in innovative, inspiring, and often surprising ways. Uh, so tell a friend to tell a friend and share this with someone who thinks that hip hop is garbage. Ha! And let them know you know what you're talking about. My name is Manny Faces. I'll be back here tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern, God willing, for the third episode and last episode this week, because we are going Monday through Thursday for the entire month of September 2020. Then Friday, a special bonus episode will be dropping uh, on the podcast feed. So do subscribe to the podcast. Please get into, if you're not into podcasting, you know, just start now. Hit me. I don't know how to do a podcast. Just hit me. I'll tell you how to do it. But you can go to hiphopcasaveamerica.com slash live for all the links to all the things. Thank you again, everybody, for your ears and for your time in the middle of your busy day, in the middle of your busy life, in the middle of a pandemic, social justice fueled madness that we're all in. I really, truly appreciate the love. Thank you. I'll be back tomorrow. Peace. Y'all be safe. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com filled with stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip-hop news that isn't about dumb <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy. Be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip-Hop Hacks, and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcasaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, it's Many Faces wishing peace and love to you and yours.